Campbell, we are back for part two of our discussion on dimensions. Awesome. Welcome back, everybody, to the question field. Of course, this is the place where you ask the questions and we field them. Part one of this conversation that was in last episode, but maybe you're just feeling like you want to get thrown right in the middle, uh, in which case we're going to get going and you'll <laughs> be uh, thrown <laughs> right good. in. <laughs> you'll sink or swim. <laughs> yeah. So, Campbell, I have a question. So I've heard and so I've read a little bit about string theory in relation to all these dimensions and yeah. a diagram I've seen before, a diagram I think I've seen on, on your website. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh no, you're, you're holding me to account. <laughs> no, I, I, I've heard this in other places as well, um, or, yeah. or I've seen this. It's string theory. It, it, there are many extra dimensions, different numbers of extra dimensions, of spatial dimensions, I believe, depending on your particular brand of string theory. Some of them say that these spatial dimensions, so I guess for us, right, or for us, for me, who is very well acquainted with the three dimensions that I appear to occupy, I'm curious where those extra dimensions would be. And so one of the, the diagrams I've seen is that those other di spatial dimensions would be teeny tiny, and it would be almost as if I'm walking on the tightrope right? There's only one direction. I can go forwards and I can go backwards on the type rope and that's it, right? But if I have my little pet ant on the type rope with me, right? Of course, the ant can go around the rope as well as going yeah, yeah. forwards and backwards. So if you zoom in, it seems like there's this extra direction that you can move in. Right. Who, what, where, why, and how? <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So I guess the first thing we should say is that this is in terms of modern theory, this kind of all fits within the framework of string theory. Strings are the reason that people are interested in extra dimensions for the most part. And I'm, I'm sure at some point we will have an episode dedicated solely to... Dedicated to string theory. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a couple of caveats. The first is obviously not everyone agrees with string theory being the right direction to to go in for theoretical physics. The appeal of string theory is that it, it unifies or it is an attempt to unify Einstein's theory of gravity, which is called general relativity, with quantum theory. And quantum theory is the theory that describes the movement of microscopic particles uh, or bunches of them or, uh, yeah, very, very energetic systems as well. Yeah. So if we can unify these two theories, which at the moment is very, very difficult, if we can unify them, then physicists tell us we'll have a theory <laughs> of everything, something that describes all of fundamental physics and then the ho our homework is complete we don't there's no more homework after the theory of everything it's it's all that's there right. textbooks end <laughs> <laughs> well yes so that's maybe the perhaps the naive um <laughs> way of thinking about it of course there will always be more right. physics to do but but yeah so that's the the promise of string theory it says we've got this this theory which unifies gravity with quantum theory and that is very exciting, but there are a lot of caveats with that. And that's those caveats are the reason that some people are very, very skeptical about string theory. And one of these caveats is that it can only work with extra dimensions. And so you ask where they are. Well, they are directions that you can move in that are perpendicular to all three of the directions that we know and love. <laughs> so it's like if you were moving just in a plane, right, on a tabletop, there is an extra dimension that you could move in, and that is off the tabletop. Like, you know, go back to the tightrope analogy. You're on a tightrope. You can only move in one direction, according to you. But from a different perspective, you could say, well, you're still moving in three-dimensional space, right? right. You, you, you're just 
kind of restricted to move in one direction in 3D space. I'm trying to think of it another we're, way. We're just casually trying to define the extra dimensions <laughs> of string theory. <laughs> yeah. no, no biggie. It's not. <laughs> you know, obviously the easiest way to think about it is, is by not thinking about 10 or nine dimensions, but actually thinking about three or two or one. I guess that idea of there being a restriction is compelling. It doesn't I, seem I, too I crazy. Could buy, I could buy that, yeah. Yeah, I, I could be sold that bridge. It's kind of a constant theme of quantum physics. I think it's probably a theme of this podcast is that we'll be <laughs> continuously saying there'll be an episode on this in the future. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there will certainly be an episode where we dive a bit more into quantum physics. But just to maybe extract the take home for this episode, there is a phenomenon in quantum physics, which is that if you place a restriction on on a dimension, for example. So say, for example, you have a particle, it can move in two directions, right? One of those directions, it is completely free to move, while in the other direction, it has this wall. It has two walls, and those walls are very closely spaced. So it, it's sort of bouncing off those walls. What quantum theory tells us, there are only a certain number of allowed energies for this particle. The right. particle can't just have any energy or actually maybe maybe better to think about it in terms of in terms of momentum sorry forget energy for now <laughs> um, the particle can only have a certain number of allowed momenta and in the direction in which it, it's completely free to move it can actually have any momentum it can be moving at any speed in that direction but the direction in which it's really constrained so say it can move freely along the x axis but then if it tries to move along the y-axis, it hits one of these walls. So what quantum theory tells us is that the momentum in that extra dimension, in the y-dimension, is what we call quantized. It, can only t it can't take any value. It has to take either, for example, zero or 10 kilograms meters per second. Right, um, right. <laughs> and then 20 and then 30 or something like that. So yeah, so those, those momenta that it's allowed to have in that direction are yeah are spaced they aren't continuous there are only a discrete number that that it can occupy like the picture i have in my head is like a train terminal station mm -hmm. and there's only you're only allowed on tracks one three five and seven exactly you any, your bullet train can go any speed on on one three five and seven yes that's exactly right. But you can only be on one of those tracks in the other direction. Yeah. So the analogy is that, or, or to stick with this analogy, if I move those walls closer together, so it becomes more and more constrained in that Y direction, the spacing between those tracks gets bigger and bigger. So the allowed momenta it can have in that direction becomes more and more spaced apart. Another analogy, imagine that these allowed momenta are rungs on a ladder. So it can be traveling at zero meters per second in this Y direction. Um, and that's like the bottom rung of the ladder. Then the next rung of the ladder is, is slightly faster. And then the next rung is slightly faster than that. And again, for all of these rungs of the ladder, it can be going any speed you like in the X direction. So the bullet train can be going at any speed, but you can only be on one of these tracks. If the walls of this system get moved close together, the rungs of the ladder get moved further apart. So the, the space between momenta in the y direction gets bigger and bigger. Let me see if I, I got this. The more you squish your train tracks, the further the tracks will be from each other. Yeah, that's okay. basically right. <laughs> yeah. Which train track you're on is like which rung of the ladder you're on, which is how fast you're traveling in the y direction. The width of the train track <laughs> is like the spacing of the walls, how constrained you are in that, in that direction. 
if you are traveling in a space which is really squished in one direction, then it takes a lot of energy to travel at any speed in that direction because it takes energy to travel with a certain momentum and those momenta are spaced very far apart. So you can have zero momentum in the Y direction, in the direction perpendicular to the wall, but in order to have any non-zero momentum in that direction, you need a lot of, lot of energy. <laughs> because you're making, you're putting a tighter constraint on the, the width of the track, we're saying, right? Yep, yep. Like, the train gets very focused and is very like, I gotta be, I can't touch the walls, man. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. And in order to, and, and it's just like kind of fritzing out like that means that it's harder to then make it to the next track. Up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's like it travels more and more in a straight line along the X direction. But if you, if you move those walls further apart, then it can start to move in the Y direction right. a little more. It's, 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 it's vibing a little more. Yeah, it can sort of oscillate a little bit, yeah. If we think about these extra dimensions of string theory as being very, very constrained, like really, really, really tiny, you're going to need a huge amount of energy for a particle to move in that direction. The, the conditions need to be so particular for them to access that. Oh, uh, <laughs> this is so hard. Maybe just unlikely that you get the perfect circumstances to get your, your particle to access yeah. that track, I guess? Yeah, so the, the, that's exactly the right idea. It's really difficult to access these extra dimensions. Um, but the I think the thing we're missing here is that the thing that allows you to access that extra dimension is energy. So in string theory, if, if we have these extra dimensions, but they're really, really, really tiny, yeah, you could access those dimensions, but you would need a particle accelerator that creates huge, huge energies. Like it would need to be the size of, I don't know, the galaxy or solar system or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're constrained to have zero momentum in those extra dimensions. So we can't access them basically. Right, right. The forbidden dimensions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're talking about these walls as being the thing that constrains you to only have zero momentum in a particular direction. There is another way that you can have a constrained extra dimension, which you hinted at with the tightrope analogy. Do you know what that might be? If they are self-contained? Yeah. I, well, what do you mean by self-contained? I feel like I'm cheating because I'm going off of things I think I read, but it seems like if- the, That's okay. Well, I, I guess I can think about it in two ways, or maybe these are related, but if there are extra spatial dimensions, I, I don't see why they would necessarily have to be connected to other spatial dimensions. And I guess the follow-up, or maybe this is completely separate to that idea, is maybe they are some kind of looped space? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the looped space idea is like the tightrope idea, right? Yeah. The extra dimension on the tightrope kind of curls back onto itself. It's a it's a circle, whereas the the large dimension of the tightrope is is linear. It can go on for as long as you like. In terms of them connect, like the direct uh, dimensions all being interconnected. I guess the idea is that at any point in one of these dimensions, you can still oh, access, you just, can still yeah. in theory move in the other right. okay. uh, dimension. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, so thinking about these dimensions as being like little circles is the generalization or the way to talk about that in more fancy terminology, fancy language, is to say that these extra dimensions are compactified, which is quite a cool word. I like yes. that. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's a killer word. <laughs> so maybe you can see why that might be analogous to if I had two walls that 
you know, are impenetrable and, right. um, yeah. and yeah. constrain movement in one direction. Yeah. It's sort of like you're constrained from moving in that dimension by the dimension itself rather than from, you know, by some external thing like a wall. I guess the question that comes to me then from that is how is that not essentially the same thing as being separate if it becomes something that's seemingly inaccessible? Yeah, so really, really good question. Like, does this have any consequences on, say, physics on our three-dimensional universe or three-dimensional plus time? Right, right. <laughs> to rephrase what you're asking, do these extra dimensions have some sort of consequence for us in three dimensions of space and one dimension of time? Like, is there some physics that comes out of this, these, right. these extra dimensions? Right. And the answer is yes. And the, the question actually takes us back to, I think, 19... 16 or so, or maybe 17, with something called Kaluza-Klein theory. Have you okay. heard about this, <laughs> Brian? Not, not even a little bit. <laughs> Great. Okay, perfect. Let me just uh, make sure I'm getting the year right, because I, I want to paint the scene, you know? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, 1919. Not too far off. First World War's just ended. Um, <laughs> Everybody's doing great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the world's as, as good as it's ever been. Um, what was he Swiss? I don't uh, Einstein. Anyway, he that, that old guy uh, <laughs> has just recently published his paper on general relativity, right? Which is his theory of gravity. He's like a superstar now. And this guy called Kaluza, who I think was a, a bit of a weird guy. So rare for for the physicist to be, physicist, to be a weird guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he like taught himself to swim by reading textbooks about it. <laughs> He's a true theorist. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And then apparently he just dived in and was, was great. <laughs> anyway, so he sends a letter to Einstein saying, hey, I like your theory on um, general relativity. Have you ever thought about this? If you add an extra dimension to that, so you have now five dimensions of space-time, it turns out that you get electromagnetism for free. So what I mean is that one of the consequences of this extra dimension is that the electromagnetic force. And so, you know, that's charges and magnets and all that. And I think Einstein kind of was like, no, this is a bit weird. But then maybe a bit later, and I'm probably bungling this history immensely, but I think a bit later he started thinking about this more seriously as a way to unify physics, because those were the only two forces they knew about at the time. We now know there are two extra, which are the weak and strong nuclear forces. But at the time, that it was just electromagnetism and gravity. And if you could unify those two together, you'd have this beautiful theory, which encompasses all of physics. You just got to find that extra spatial dimension. No, no big deal. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so Oscar Klein comes along a bit later and says, well, if you think about this extra dimension as being um, sort of wrapped up on itself, like a circle, you get some extra things for free. If you take quantum theory for granted, then, well, what you can do is you can identify the momentum in that direction with the charge of a particle. And so if I just say that the charge is given by the momentum in this extra dimension, and I tell you that this dimension is really small, well, what did we say that means about the momentum of the particle? Is this in relation to the more squished you get, the further, yeah, yep. Uh, yep. The, the further your tracks get? From each other. That's exactly it. The, the 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 train is no longer vibing. It's on the fritz, and so it's <laughs> yeah. very hard to get. Can to only the travel end. straight. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you are if your extra dimension is really small, your momenta are what we call quantized. So it can only 
take certain discrete values. And if I tell you that that momentum is equal to what we'd call the charge of a particle, well, then the charge is also quantized. And that actually is what we observe in, in nature. We only observe particles with a certain quantized electric charge. Quarks can have a fraction of, uh, of a, the charge of an electron, but basically um, we can think of the electron's charge as being the, the unit of electric charge. It, you can't have sort of half of that. So this would be a, a beautiful explanation for the fact that, that electric charge is quantized. And so this grew into Kaluza-Klein theory, which is that if you add an extra dimension, you get extra physics, if you like. And in this particular case, it was electromagnetism. There was a problem though, because if, as we said, you need stupendous amounts of energy to access really, really small extra dimensions, right? And in special relativity, energy is the same thing basically as mass. E equals mc squared is what, uh, is what I'm referring to here. So if you need a lot of energy to, to have a charged particle, right? Because in order for a particle to be charged, it needs to have momentum in this extra dimension, which means it needs to access the, the dimension, which means it needs to have a lot of energy. And if you equate that with the particle's mass, then... You just get black holes everywhere and... Yeah, it's, it's really, really massive. It's huge, huge masses of particles. So it doesn't really work. But this idea kind of was the germ that spawned into the extra dimensions of string theory. Thinking about... Um, what happens if you compactify those dimensions kind of grew out of this Kaluza Klein program. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so you can kind of think, well, we have extra forces, right? We have, as I mentioned, you have the weak and strong nuclear forces. Do, do you, uh, are you familiar with, with these concepts? Well, the, the strong nuclear force is what keeps our nuclei yep. from doing bad things. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it holds the uh, nucleus of atoms together. The weak force is responsible for radioactivity. So it's, it's, it's a bit weird to think about. It's, a, it's maybe not so intuitive as strong forces, you know, it prevents the nucleus of atoms from flying apart. The weak force kind of spits, uh, results in um, beta particles getting spat out from atoms. There's a bit, it's a bit less intuitive to think about. But anyway, it's, um, it's another one of the fundamental forces that we have. So we've got gravity, electromagnetism, weak and strong, four, four of them. And I'm sure we will go further into details on all of that in another episode. But uh, yeah, so we can think about, could there be some number of extra dimensions and some way of compactifying those extra dimensions that gives us those forces that from our, say, 4D space-time perspective is the same as having these force fields that we, that we know and love. That's part of what some people are interested in with string theory and, and these extra dimensions. String theory tells us that we need these extra dimensions in order for string theory to be consistent. Um, and if you take that seriously, as many people do, some people don't, if you take that seriously, then you say, well, we need to compactify those dimensions because we don't see them, we don't observe them, so they need to be really, really small. And the way that you compactify those dimensions can uh, influence the physics you see on large distance scales, like on, on our 4D perspective. It's, uh, it's a pretty crazy, crazy idea. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, my intuition would say if they're basically inaccessible, it would be hard to just be like, well, you could have as many extra dimensions as you want, but it, it's yeah. to, to know that there's actual 
there could be consequences that still result from mm. this is kind of like, it's intriguing. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. We could go a whole bunch of different directions from here in terms of this discussion, but maybe the reason, just to quickly say, the reason that you can't have extra, like the, the reason that string theory gives you the number of dimensions that you need is because of symmetry. So symmetry is really important in, in physics, particularly when you get to into this sort of fundamental physics. I'm sure we can we can talk about this um, a bit further in some other episode. So maybe if uh, if the listeners are interested in this, they can write in and we'll we'll discuss it. But in any sort of quantum theory, particularly for these these uh, forces and particles that are that are able to access really high energies, you start with a classical theory. A classical theory is just one without the quantum stuff. And in classical theories, particles can only move along one trajectory. You know, if I if I give you the initial velocity and position of a particle, then you know how it's going to move through time, like how, how it's going to move. Um, okay, I can play the tape backwards and, and forwards. Yeah, and, yeah, that's exactly right. Whereas in quantum theory, if I tell you the starting position to predict, say, for example, the probability it will end up at that final position, you need to add up the probabilities that it went along all possible trajectories. So that's really weird. <laughs> um, and so if you translate to that to string theory, so string theory is a theory of strings. Um, instead of particles, you have little loops or strands of string. And you uh, have to add up the probability that it starts at one configuration and location and ends at another. The classical theory of string theory has this really, really important symmetry, which is basically like you can stretch the rulers and the clocks that... Um, that uh, we use to measure space-time. Turns in, it turns into a, uh, a dolly painting. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, so you can, you can turn a nice, uh, I don't know, classical painting into a, into a dolly <laughs> painting, and the physics should be the same. Like, we should all still... It's like, you know, it's like that, I think, from last episode, we were talking about pens uh, the, uh, and a space-time interval as being something that everyone agrees on. So um, you should be able to stretch and squish your rulers in space-time and everyone should agree on, and nothing, basically nothing should change. Like you should still be able to work your theory properly. And I'm being very, very hand-wavy about this. There, you know, there's- Listeners, his hands right now are unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the basic idea. This is a symmetry called while symmetry or while invariance, uh, W-E-Y-L, named after- Herman Weil, I think. My boy Hermie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the symmetry of the classical theory, right? As in every point along the trajectory of a string has uh, that symmetry. But in the quantum theory, it can you need to consider all possible trajectories. What that often means for the quantum theory is that some of these symmetries are broken. It turns out in string theory, you really, really need that symmetry to be preserved. Whether or not it's broken depends on the, the dimensions that you have. So it can only be preserved if uh, if you move in ten dimensions of space time, with some caveats. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but that's the basic idea. Like it's not consistent because the symmetry is broken if the if string theory is considered in in different dimensions. So it needs to be ten. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure there's lots of math that <laughs> that yeah gets a bit, points, bit hairy. Points all that out. <laughs> yeah. There was something else that I feel like maybe just to bring it down down to earth a little bit more and also connect it to what we were talking about 
uh, last time. The, the take-home of this episode is, as we've mentioned a couple of times, if you have a direction which is really, really small, then it's difficult to access that direction, that dimension. There are a few ways that this plays out in more conventional quantum systems. Firstly, if we think about a molecule, right, you were talking last time about degrees of freedom and, and dimensions. If I think of a, about a molecule, which is just two atoms, right, two atoms separated from one another, there are several degrees of freedom that that molecule has, right? Do you, um, do you remember like what, what those would be? Uh, they were translational kind of, and then also rotational. Mm -hmm. And isn't there also just like the one that's like the real mover or they could both be moving? Right. So you're, you're talking about like the bond length changing. Right. Is that uh, right? Yeah. Like it can be compressing and expanding and yeah, or, that's or, it. maybe one has more influence or... Your uh, bond, your, your atoms could be kind of vibrating against right. each other. Yeah. So it's a vibrational degree of freedom. Thinking about the rotational ones... Again, if I take my pen from last time, if I imagine that the ends of my pen contain the, uh, the atoms in my molecule, right? So the, the atoms are located at the ends of the pen. I can spin my pen horizontally, right? So in a flat plane, or I can spin my pen vertically like that. Yeah. There's also another way that I could spin it, which is just to rotate the pen around its axis. Right. Yeah. I'm hoping that, my, that without these visuals that I'm <laughs> doing right now, the listeners will still be able to understand what I'm talking about. You can like flip your pen around as if you're doing a, a trick, or you can just roll it between your hands, right? And it just turns around on, on its axis. There is some sense, right, in which that last rotation is kind of smaller. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely not as, uh, it, it's not trying to show off like the Yeah, other. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the, the, if you're doing a pen trick, that's much more dramatic, right, than if you're just rolling Rolling the pen between your fingers. You're the you're you're leading the the parade with your baton, and you know one person is throwing their baton in the air, and the other is twirling it very fast, and then there's just the the one person at the end who's just rolling it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I think that guy would be kicked out of the band yeah. too quick. <laughs> so yeah, so this this idea this this take home that we're that we're getting at for this episode actually applies to this system as well because this this degree of freedom is kind of small. It's less dramatic to be a bit more technical about it, we can say that the moment of inertia about this axis is, is really small, um, whereas the moment of inertia around other axes is really large. But it, it's, you know, it's just less dramatic. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So that means that that degree of freedom is difficult to access. It is the introvert of the uh, degrees of freedom and l much like myself, an introvert, hard to access. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. I'm also I, a bit I, of an introvert myself, <laughs> but, but uh, sort of a bit easier to access, I think. I don't, I, anyway. <laughs> but yes, that's exactly right. It is, uh, it is sort of less dramatic, less flary and harder to access. So when you're doing the degree of freedom counting, that, uh, that degree of freedom, which only rotates at around the axis of the of the bond, that really introverted degree of freedom, you don't actually count it because it takes too much energy to access. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So but there, I guess there's this leads to a philosophical question, which is there is that degree of freedom there in theory, but it, in order to access it, in order to excite some rotation in that direction, you need a huge amount of energy. And say, for example, I, I don't know if this is true for any molecule, I'm sure it might, might be for some, if you tried to give that molecule 
that amount of energy to excite that rotation, it would fly apart. It would, yeah. um, <laughs> it would sort of disintegrate. So is that really a degree of freedom? Like, yeah. does, is that an actual way in which you can move or is it non-existent, you know? And similarly, if these extra dimensions are inaccessible, like say they, they don't produce any extra physics and they are truly inaccessible, like the amount of energy you'd need to, to access them would create a black hole or something like right, that. Right, yeah. Do they really exist? Where, where, do you, where, where do you come down? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm more um, a balance between the two. Like, I think that there is a way in which you can think of unobservable things as existing if they have, you know, if they, like in string theory, if they are important for consistency reasons. But also, I do think that you need to be a bit careful about making sure certain things have observable consequences. If your if your molecule is vibrating in a forest and there's not enough energy to make, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. So Campbell, I I my brain is is thoroughly uh, mixed and it's uh, thoroughly mushed. <laughs> but listen, here's the thing, right? You're you're half the world away. I'm what twelve hours behind you. So give me twelve hours and I'll be exactly on the same page as you. I just need, <laughs> just need that time You'll to have done your homework. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> no. No, thank you as always, Campbell. Thank you as always to uh, our listeners. This has been part yeah. two of our first uh, real, uh, real deal episode, and we hope you stick around for many, many, many more and see me continue to uh, make a fool of myself and hear Campbell, Campbell, try, try and pull me out of this whirlpool of, uh, <laughs> of physics that is uh, currently trying to uh, pull me under. <laughs> and if you. Um have any uh, questions about this topic or if uh, if you have some other burning questions that you feel like, I don't know, are difficult to answer from a quick Google search or something like that, we'll write in and we'll, we'll do what we can to answer them. Campbell will do what he can to or, <laughs> I, I or will field I, them. <laughs> I will, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think that's all for now. Thank you so much, everyone. We will catch you next time on Question Field. I almost said the Question Field. <laughs> Had to had to fall back. You've been listening to Question Field. Question Field is a game media production and is produced by its hosts Campbell McLaughlin and Brian Buchanan. For more information, please check us out on Instagram at Question Field Pod, on Twitter at Quest Field Pod, and on TikTok at Question Field. If you have a question you'd like to submit or would simply like to leave a message, please send us an email at questionfieldpod at gmail.com. Recently, the James Webb Telescope discovered five new stars located in the review section of your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening.